This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. Time now for Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Here are your hosts, Sean Abbott and J.D. Burke. Happy Saturday, everybody. Happy game day as well. John Abbott, J.D. Berg, Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at the Shark Club. Your destination for pregame, postgame, every game. A day like today, it's perfect. Located minutes from the rink, corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, and talk a bit of trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. Oh, it feels good to be back on a game day. Canucks and Edmonton Oilers to break out of the NHLPA mandated vacation. Both teams playing their first game back, each coming off a pair of victories heading into that break. Canucks took a win in Columbus, followed it up with another victory in Minnesota. Meantime, Edmonton Oilers grab a pair of wins, taking out Arizona and those pesky Vegas Golden Knights. Difficult Two-game stint for the Vancouver Canucks coming back from that break. Most of the players getting out of Dodge, enjoying some time away. Most of them in the sun. Returned to fly in Edmonton yesterday, get in and practice in oil country. And have to gear up for an Oilers club that are looking up at many in the standings, despite what projections were laid down at the season's beginning. You know those Oilers don't want to lose their first game back from the break. To the Vancouver Canucks. And then Vancouver goes into Winnipeg. They'll arrive very early in the morning because of the time change and taking on the Winnipeg Jets, who, oh, just so happened to break the Calgary Flames win streak with a 2-1 shootout win over the Flames just moments ago. So the good news is that the Jets had to play a little extra hockey, but because of the afternoon game on Hockey Day in Canada, Winnipeg getting back to the friendly confines of Manitoba well before the Vancouver Canucks will take their strides in frosty Manitoba. J.D., it is Bo Horvat who is expected to return tomorrow, will not play today unless Travis Green has some trickery up his sleeve. And uh, this morning's press conference with the media was all a big ruse. That's the source of our TSN1040.ca poll question today. Horvat, his return right around the corner. When he comes back, who should he play with? Berchi and Besser? Vanek and Besser? Berchi and Gagne? Or the complete wild card? Vertanen and Besser? A little bit juicy there at the end. You can uh, cast your vote via Twitter at TSN1040 or at tsn1040.ca. You can reach us throughout the show. We're here till 5, 1-844-876-1040, Email live at tsn1040.ca. I'm at, at, at HockeyAbs, A-B-B-S, at J. Dylan Burke with an E on the end. If you'd like to look us up or give us a shout-out on Twitter. Uh, J.D., it is a show that will include an Oilers guest in Mike Gagnon. 
a Winnipeg guest in Jacob Stoller, and of course an update from the Utica Comets who have one of their coolest games of the year, the uh, Glow in the Dark game. That's right. Be uh, benefiting one of the local charities in Utica. Jeremy Davis will stop by as well. So plenty to get to, but the Horvat news really is the biggest of the day. Canucks could use a shot in the arm. Uh, certainly could use what he brings, and, and I'm excited to see who he'll play with. I don't know if you have a selection of the four we just dished out there, JD. We'll go to your assessment first on where number 53 should line up when he comes back. Well, my answer to the TSN 1040 poll question, I'm going to go with the leading candidate right now. We've got about 200 votes in. It's Berchi and Besser. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That line was having tremendous success before Brock Besser went down with injury. The only real intriguing option there that kind of swayed me a little bit from that one was Vanek and Besser, just because you know that Besser's had chemistry with Vanek, and you have to think that a playmaker like Vanek has a lot to bring to a line with Horvat and Besser, who are both primarily shooters. I mean, we like to think of centers as generally the people who set up their line mates for offense, but that really hasn't been the case with Bo Horvath. It's not a tool that he's often want to wield from his tool kit. He's often more of a shooter. He likes to take the puck to the net, and I like to think that Vanek's savvy with the puck, finding players in space would benefit them, but by that same token, I still think, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and we know that Travis Green is probably going to go back to Berchi Besser, and that's where I'd like to land, too. I'm with you on that and said as much uh, yesterday, so I'll stand by that. So I suppose we're not really uh, jumping off the the plank here to Should dive into a, a sexy pick. <laughs> well, I'll bring up I'll bring up the fact that I see your Vanek and Besser uh, combo and and am very intrigued by that. We have a write-in vote from Mars Bar on Twitter. Uh, Berchin Vertanen is the vote there. So that's uh, option E, I suppose, if you go uh, past the one on tsn1040.ca. I don't see a world in which Jake gets the chance to play up on what could be a top line with Bo Horvat, although uh, that would be an interesting way to try and get more out of JV18. I suppose we probably need to consider Louis Erickson and where he fits because he very well could be beside Bo Horvat in some degree. But for my money, just Given the way the Horvat started the season and sort of molded into that uh, dynamic punch with Berchi on his left, Besser on his right, uh, I would like to see a return to that. Heck, if it's if it means sacrificing a little bit on line two and three, look at the schedule the Canucks are facing in the second half. Think about what teams are gearing up for. Well, that's the postseason in a lot of their opponents. Find a line that's dangerous to play against, and even if the opposition game plans against them, well, that still frees up some talented players behind the Horvat trio. But some fun options as to where perhaps Travis Green would go. Uh, Bo, by the way, if you look at projections, dis- despite missing a whole whack of games with that, I'll call it a fluke, uh, broken bone in his foot, that ankle area due to Columbus. Carolina. Or, excuse me, Carolina. Carolina. Just hit a divot in the ice. Really tough play to watch over and, and know that that's what sideline Bo. And you'd expect he'd play through it if he could. 18 games out of the lineup. Bo last year, in the new year, once the calendar turned to January 2017, provided 10 goals. So half of what he finished with. 10 of his 20 goals came in the second half of last season. He's at 10 right now. 
The interesting it, thing for me on that point too is we talk about the the split between his his first half and second half is a lot of those goals. In fact, I'd say all but one, if memory serves, came before the final eighteen games of the season. As soon as Willie Desjardins started to play him against higher competition in the lineup, there was an adjustment period, and you could tell that he really struggled a bit. But he's kind of bounced back this year. He's playing even more difficult minutes, and the the goals have come. Perhaps that's something that we'll see this uh, this down the stretch. I mean, he has the talent. He was scoring before he went down with injury. Certainly, we'd like to see that development, so uh, hopefully he doesn't go dry for the last 20 games again. I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it, and I, I'm I'm going to say he'll be an over more than 20 goal score. I think he has it in him. Uh, in this last stretch, it's it's going to be a grind for the Canucks. I still believe that. I mean, uh, you think of the record without Bo Horvat, and uh, it certainly wasn't flattering. Now, there were injuries besides Bo that played a big role into that as well. I mean, Sven Berchi was absent for quite a bit of it, as well, Brandon Sutter. So it's not just 53, but having him back brings so much, J.D. Balance to the lineup, situational play, power play, penalty kill, best face-off guy percentage-wise, and also... Uh, the total of faceoffs taken year after year since Bo entered the league for the Vancouver Canucks rests on his shoulders, and he takes the puck to the net. He does the things that you'd hope Jake Furtanen would eventually fall into. Difference, of course, center to the wing, but still right idea for Jake to follow suit. Many are, many are pointing to the contract, J.D., and saying that's exactly why you pay a guy like Bo Horvat. That's exactly why you did it what the Canucks executed in the offseason. Lock that guy up. Mm -hmm. You share an interesting perspective taking it a couple steps further. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you look at the Canucks record, they won four games out of a possible, I think, 17 since Bo Horvat went down with injury. Clearly, that suggests that he has a great deal of import to this team. I mean, they couldn't score goals. They couldn't stop pucks. And, of course, a lot of that has to do with the other players that we're missing, too. I mean, I don't think Travis Green was necessarily... Uh, thinking that playing Nick Dowd close to 20 minutes a night was an ideal situation, but you look at the cards he was dealt, he had to adjust on the fly, and that was the best solution he saw to kind of leveling the ship, making sure that the goals stop at least being scored on him as much as they were. Now, a lot of people have said that this indicates just how valuable Bo Horvat is and how he's worth the $5.5 million, and, and certainly there is some room for that argument. To me, though, and we're going to talk a lot about the big picture on today's show, the Canucks have been off for a week with the NHLPA-mandated bye week. We're going to talk big picture, and one of the things we're going to get into is Jim Benning's future, and a big part of that as it relates to the Bo Horvat situation is I don't think it says as much about what Bo Horvat means to the Canucks as it does where the Canucks are in their rebuild. Because you look at this team, who buoyed them while Bo Horvat was down? We're talking about Brock Besser, certainly, and he's a young part of the next core. I mean, that much is already certain, and we're less than 50 games into his career. But you look at some of the secondary pieces that were right there with him. It's Thomas Vanek. It's the Sedin twins. These are players in their late 30s. So how far along is this rebuild? I mean, we can imagine a scenario next season where both Henrik and Daniel Sedin retire. There's, there is the possibility they don't have a contract. I don't know what they'd have to play for in Vancouver because this team isn't winning a cup in the next two, three years. It's possible. So what happens to this supposed rebuild when it's Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, and an awkward silence behind them? That's, that's what I think about. What's this team going to look like next year if there's no Sedin twins? 
Well, that's why there's some work to do getting into next year with the amount of restricted free agents and we can bring those I feel like we reference this almost once every show on a weekly basis but some a laundry list of names to tie up here and make decisions on Berchi, Vertanen, Grandland, Stetcher, Pouliot. By the way, Jeff Patterson letting us know on Twitter that Pouliot a little bit nicked up. And so if you're wondering why Derek Pouliot hasn't been in the lineup, it's more than just a healthy scratch at this point. In fact, uh, leading us to believe serious enough not to make a change. So expect the same six on the blue line for Travis Green. But Pouliot, one of those RFAs. And Philip Holm, who you haven't seen play a game at the NHL yet, also needs a contract. And then there's the trade deadline, J.D. So you're talking about a team that should be anticipating what is to come as far as it's considered with how many players get their first crack at the NHL next year, how that blends in trying to be successful, what happens when you lose veterans, including key cogs like Henrik and Daniel Sedin. That sounds like it has a lot to do with knowing that before you get to the trade deadline. But do we know that? Is there any certainty about Sedin's status? I think it's 50-50 right now. And Here's a really interesting question as it pertains to next season. We were talking about this a bit before the show. Travis Green, I mean, for all he's done well this season, I don't think he's really proven himself to be a rookie's coach. I mean, Brock Besser blows the doors off in preseason. He's got all the goals. He's generating shots. He sits the first two games. And if you even want to go back to his Utica, his time in Utica, Ben Hutton joins the team at the end of the season. Jared McCann joins the team at the end of the season. They both made the Canucks three months later. They couldn't get a game with Travis Green and the Utica Comets. So what happens next year if you've got all these holes to fill, right? And you're looking at Elias Pedersen, perhaps Jonathan Dolan, maybe even some people that expect Adam Gaudet to be among that crop. How do you think Travis Green feels about that lineup? And, and you know what? The Canucks aren't going to have a ton of money to spend. The Sedins are coming off the book. But like you said, we've got Troy Stetcher, uh, who we have to think about as somebody they're going to resign. And, and Derek Pouliot, Sven Berchi. I mean, Berchi's had a bit of a, an odd season in the sense that his, everything under the hood says he's actually not playing as well as his goals suggest. But you know what? It's goals that dictate contracts. And Berchi's going to get paid. So what is this team going to be doing next year if they don't have the Sedin twins? Good question. Are you? I'll throw a quick one at you. Then I don't. I wouldn't say it's high heat. Mm-hmm. It's it's a hittable pitch here. Do you keep Thomas Vanek? Then that's what Moj was talking to us at the crossover. Do you anticipate that you're going to need somebody to help lead this team? That uh, Brandon Sutter, that Louis Erickson are not enough, despite the fact that those are uh, two players that come in at a huge part of your salary cap. Can you get a guy on the cheap like a Thomas Vanek? Do you? Avoid trading him in the hopes that you can re-sign him and open negotiations. Thomas Van For a guy that's bounced around, might want to stay. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And you think that he might take a, a discount given the quick adjustment he's had in Vancouver. And he really seems to be enjoying himself, and he's grown into a leadership role. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I've followed the NHL pretty closely the last few years. I did not anticipate Thomas Vanek leader when he signed with the Canucks, somebody who's going to take Brock Besser under his wing, going to show him the ropes, going to help him out. But the thing is, he turned 34 years old yesterday. A happy birthday to Thomas Vanek. And what we know about aging curves is that this just isn't likely to keep up. And this is a team that's two, three, maybe four years down the road, they're going to be playoff competitive consistently. 
What's going to be of more value to the Canucks than the cap space that they inherit from not having Thomas Vanek? And perhaps even the second or third or fourth round pick they get for Thomas Vanek, who can develop into an NHL player that can help this team win when they're competitive. And another thing to consider here, too, is this team has spent a lot of money to lose. And I'm working on an article for this on this very topic for the Athletic Vancouver, and you can catch that later tonight. And basically what I'm looking at is how much Jim Benning has spent in his time here. How much more can he spend on veterans like Vanek? I mean, what's he going to cost? Another $3 million? It's It's a lot of money to keep losing hockey games like this. And we know based on this season that Thomas Vanek isn't really moving the needle. I'm with you on the trade. Move Vanek for an asset. Move him for a draft pick, just like several other teams have done. If he wants to resign here so badly, he has an option. You can still try and negotiate to bring him back. Find out what number that is. But to your point, as much house cleaning has been done to put uh, to identify players to move forward with the prospect pool, the American Hockey League development chain, who is the next best name to come up and plug some of those holes if there are some next year, aside from those sexy players that have yet to participate in pro? And let's focus on the forwards for a moment. Can you think of a guy off the top of your head from Utica? Okay, Nikolai Goldovin, there's one. Do you need more than that? Because if you do, I'm not so sure even the amount of, despite the amount of effort this organization under Jim Benning has put in at turning over and adding to the cupboards in the American Hockey League, that there's another name, another top-end name that can easily plunk into an NHL roster. Griffin Molino is testing himself out. In the American Hockey League. Is he ready next year? I'm not so sure. Does he bring speed? Absolutely. He's played 25 games in Utica. Has five points. I, I just... Continuing to move forward. To build through the draft. Sounds like a good idea to me. If you can do that with Thomas Vanek. That's a plus plus. Uh, we mentioned Bo Horvat. We'll continue to talk. Jim Benning will continue to talk direction. Uh, we'll reference your findings, perhaps, or tease some of your findings from the article that is uh, forthcoming. But we mentioned Bo Horvat off the top. Before we head to a little pause in the programming, uh, let's hear from Bo ahead of a game versus the Edmonton Oilers as he tries to prepare himself for what we think is his return to action tomorrow in Winnipeg. I'm really close to playing. Um, you know, obviously, you know, to get a full team practice under my belt and, and get back with the guys and kind of getting back in that uh, game shape is it's going to take uh, a couple practices and uh, you know, a couple pregame skates to, to get back into it. But I'm feeling pretty good right now. Our thanks to Jeff Patterson uh, back on the beat, uh, refreshed, we hope, from Mexico and uh, for providing that audio from Edmonton. And it is Horvat that is likely to return tomorrow. I think that's a good idea. You think of uh, Horvat, yes, skating on his own, putting the time in during the break, uh, flying to Edmonton to ensure he gets a practice with the team. That's the first one with the full group in an awfully long time. Hangs around, gets the morning skate today. He'll go back, do some bike work, you'd think, uh, Maybe even take warm-up, we'll see, but likely do some bike work while uh, the rest of the guys take to the ice and then have a chance to cool the Jets, rest up, and uh, play as a shot in the arm. Provide a big boost. Canucks fans are hoping against the Winnipeg Jets you'd need one. And that's the source of our poll question. Just to restate that, tsn1040.ca and at tsn1040 on Twitter. When Bo does come back, who should he play between? Bear Jean Besser. 
Vanna can best her. Berchi and Gagne or Vertanen and Besser. We can uh, add a couple others for write-in votes as well. Uh, tweet at us. You can go to tsn1040.ca at tsn1040. Find out uh, how to connect with us today. We'll be back on the other side. It is Nation Network Radio presented by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. John Abbott, J.D. Burke on TSN 1040. This is Nation Network Radio on the voice of Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. Now, here's John Abbott and J.D. Burke. Hour number one, Nation Network Radio on a game day. Canucks and Edmonton to take on the Oilers. Glad you're with us. Presented by Shark Club, Sports Bar and Grill. And they'll be busy. Not only in the second half, but leading up to trade deadline day. Get to that in a matter of moments. Uh, Shark Club at the corner of Georgia and Beatty. Come eat, drink, talk a bit of trash. Like to do that here from time to time on the program. Learn more at sharkclub.com. Yes, trade deadline uh, forthcoming. Lots of opportunity to throw names at the wall. Find out what sticks come late February. By the way, TSN and... uh, on the TV side, starting extra early for us here in the Pacific Time Zone. And, of course, on TSN 1040 across the TSN radio network, uh, we'll be glued to the deadline. Farhan Lalji will be on the scene for uh, the as the reporters come in out of Vancouver. And we'll have you covered as well. And, uh, J.D., it hasn't slowed down in the talks of what the Canucks may do at the trade deadline. And most of it, when you find yourselves more likely moving closer to a lottery pick at the top of the draft includes exit plans for certain players. The two most thrown around appear to be Thomas Vanek and Eric Goodbranson. I'll go to you first on whether you think one or both of those two should be moved. And then I'll throw this one out there that you can stick a fork into when you finish that and, uh, are there other names that perhaps haven't been presented as strongly that you think should be considered as options to be put forth at the trade deadline? Well, I mean, we've talked a lot about Thomas Vanek and everything. He's done well for the Canucks, and we even kind of previewed this discussion in the last segment. We were talking about whether the Canucks should trade him, whether they should re-sign him. My position is the same. They have to trade him. They have to see what the market can bear. And even if it's a low pick, they just have to take what they can get. Because 35-year-old Vanek, I don't know if he's going to be much more help to the Canucks next season, or 36-year-old Vanek a year later than that fourth-round pick is. It's uh, certainly not something that we can say with any certainty, especially because Vanek has had a really up and down second half of his career. The back nine has not been as well as the the front nine. He hasn't put up points like he has in his younger years, and that's expected. That's not even on Vanek. That's just time is undefeated, and that's especially true in hockey. So why would they bank on a 35-year-old to keep producing as he gets into the twilight of his career? I mean, credit to Vanek. He's come to Vancouver, and he's been full value. He's been better than what they paid for. I mean, what, $2.5 million, $2 million for somebody to come in here, be a leader, take Brock Besser under his wing. And the one thing that will always stick out to me is when injuries started to mount in December, who was it that stepped up? Was it Louis Erickson making $6 million a year for the next six years? <laughs> you know? No, it was... Don't Tom- remind me. Yeah, it was Thomas Vanek. It was Thomas Vanek. He was almost a point-per-game player. If you told me he was going to be a point-per-game player for any stretch longer than two or three games this season, 
I'm going to tip my hat and said, hey, that's a win for the Canucks. But you know what? It's time for them to cash their chips in on Vanek. He's done all he can for this franchise, certainly for this season, certainly for the next season. It's hard to say. But you just have to think that Jim Benning, his reputation is built as a scout. We don't know if he's going to be here for this draft or beyond this draft, rather. But you have to think he's somebody who continually says, I think I can find a player in the third, fourth, fifth round. Prove it. Give yourself extra picks. That's that's my thinking on Vanek. I mean, am I in the wrong here? Do you trade? Do you trade at all costs? So let's say, well, I, I don't have a great grasp of what the market value would be yet for Thomas Vanek, but I'd have to think his recent play is only adding to his cause to be moved, and maybe just maybe you can sneak the pick up higher in the rounds than uh, what you originally thought you might get when you acquired Thomas Vanek in the off season. But there is some notion that teams have soured on him a little bit because the last time this was attempted, moving from Detroit to Florida, and the Florida experience was not a good one, uh, Vanek will, has been on the record suggesting that's partly to do with the fit there and uh, didn't really feel that the situation in Florida was um, perhaps constructive. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. to fit into. Yeah in the immediacy of moving to a team after the trade deadline and trying to pick up things in stride down the stretch drive for a team that is headed to the playoffs. So there's question marks there. Eric Branson, we were speaking with Darren Dreger on this station uh, not too long ago and throughout teams that could be interested in a defenseman. Toronto Maple Leafs, Los Angeles Kings, Tampa Bay Lightning, among others, came up. And couldn't connect the straight line to the Canucks on the blue line for some of those clubs. Now, some of it is the domino effect. Guys come off the board, teams take a look around, circle back, find a player that's suitable to give them an extra little push. If Goodbranson isn't going to get you a tongue, do you still trade him because you don't expect to bring him back? And if that's the case, do you reconsider maybe packaging players or going deeper into your roster to find a guy that will land you a little bit more if one of or both of Goodbranson and Vanek don't quite equal up to what you thought you were going to take home. Well, I think the answer is yes for both of those players. And and when we get back to Vanek, though, which is only further to your point, a lot of people don't even see the the Florida Panthers situation as the biggest anchor on Vanek in terms of his value. A lot of people go even further back. They go when the New York Islanders traded him to the Montreal Canadiens, and he flatlined in the playoffs. Now, some of that was percentages. I did a little bit of digging, and he wasn't quite as bad as the numbers might have suggested. But uh, it doesn't look good on the surface, and that's really what matters. The playoffs are when you have to show... He didn't show it. So that's going to be fresh in a lot of teams' minds. But again, it's a, if it's a fourth or fifth pick, you take it because that's going to have more value to this team. Uh, the Garrick Branson one, you were talking about what Darren Drager had to say about him when he was on TSN. What about what Frank Saravelli said, I think, a week or two ago? He was alluding to the fact that there really just isn't that much of a market for Eric Branson. And part of the reason for that is that the market is so saturated right now. We're hearing names like Ryan McDonough thrown out there. Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson just requested a trade right after the Canucks game uh, a week ago. A report from Aaron Portsline of The Athletic. I mean, it's a saturated market. And here's the thing that tells me the Canucks aren't getting their way in the Good Branson negotiations. When we go back as far back as December, early December, all the talk from every insider and everybody close to the team 
was that the Canucks want to get this dealt with sooner than later. And there was a lot of talk, especially around Christmas, that they needed to trade good Branson quick because they're wary of Ben Hutton sitting in the press box. They're wary of Derek Pouliot. He's going to sit his fifth straight game. And that is just not a good situation. It doesn't look for good for a team that calls itself a meritocracy to have Derek Pouliot, who has some of their best underlying statistics, to be sitting for players like Del Sato and Gut Branson. I know the Canucks can't be happy with this situation right now where they've got a young defenseman who's proven their worth sitting in the press box. But if they can't get what they want for Good Branson, it's, it's going to get interesting. It's going to get tricky because how do they get even close to what they paid for him when Jack Johnson is on the rental market, when Ryan McDonough is out there. It's going to be a tough situation, and I think eventually the Canucks are just going to have to accept the loss on this one. They lost this trade. They're going to have to accept their mistake on that one. They got 60 okay-ish third-pair games from Good Branson. And uh, you just got to get what you can for him because I don't think re-signing Good Branson makes a ton of sense. Just financially, no, it doesn't. It doesn't, work. doesn't make any sense. So no. let's just cut to the chase. There, it doesn't make any sense uh, at the number that he could come into. Good Branson, by the way, seven games of playoff experience in 2011, 2012. That broke a Panthers streak of uh, playoff misses. So that was huge at the time for the 2011, 2012 Panthers. Uh, hadn't made the playoffs since '97 at that point, and that was at age 20 for Eric Branson. Uh, seven game series against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, played again in the post. Season 2015-16, six games this time at age 24, lost in six to the New York Islanders. So 13 games of playoff experience uh, for Eric Branson, each in the first round, each uh, coming in his young to mid-20s. And you wonder if that's part of a part of the scenario attached to Eric Branson as well. It's just he hasn't played a bulk of games uh, when it matters most, and uh, yet... He's very, seemingly very attractive for a club if you could add him as a depth guy, which you'd expect would be the case. So it'll be interesting to see where teams come out on Eric Branson. If that's not the most alluring name for the Vancouver Canucks to trot out there, J.D., you have a couple of theories, including number 27. Yeah, and Bruce Garriock of the Ottawa Sun uh, let out a report, I think, about a week ago, and it was something along the lines of the Canucks aren't actively shopping Ben Hutton, but they are listening on trade calls. Uh, Botchford actually squashed that report, I think, a few days later. But the thing is, you look at this situation, and it doesn't just revolve around Ben Hutton. Travis Green trusts Michael Delzato. Whether he should or not, that's another conversation worth having. I think that Ben Hutton's been far superior to Dell's auto this season, and certainly the numbers reassert that. But the, the thing is, they really need to create space on their left side. They've got Philip Holm, who they signed based on the idea that there's an opportunity to play with the Canucks this season. He hasn't even played a single game for the Canucks. You've got Ole Ulevi coming along next season, and we know that the dream at Rogers Arena is to play Ole Ulevi with Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev has one, maybe two more seasons within this organization, so you have to assume, based on that logic, that they need a spot for Ulevi to play in next year, if that's the dream, to have Ulevi with Tanev. They have to create space on their left side. I've floated the idea of an Alexander Edler buyout at the end of the season, which would be actually not very cost prohibitive. I think you'd have a cap hit of $3 million next year in dead cap, and then another $2 million in the next year. That's not really difficult for a rebuilding team to handle if this team is ever going to dive headfirst into a rebuild. And, and you know what? I would trade Michael Delzato if it were up to me. 
but it's not. And I think that Ben Hutton really has worked his way out of the good graces of this coaching staff. Perhaps he needs a fresh start. Who knows? Well, I can remember the day that Hutton signed. It was his birthday. It was a re-signed. It was his birthday. It was a year ago in Arizona. And at the time, you think, boy, that is an attractive contract, not only for the Vancouver Canucks, Ben Hutton taking a huge step up as far as he's concerned, uh, coming out of the University of Maine. Fifth round pick, I believe, of the Vancouver Canucks. and uh, So he's getting paid, but... You know, that's an attractive number for a team that believes there's more upside there, that's willing to take a chance. And uh, so I'm intrigued by the notion that you tabled, that the fact that as much as Good Branson's name is thrown around, as much as Chris Tanev's name is thrown around, and I don't think Tanev uh, nor Edler are going anywhere. No. Maybe Ben Hutton comes into the fold. We'll see, because I think when the phone rings, Jim Benning must be answering at all costs unless... uh, number 53 or number 6 are involved and I, I certainly don't see those two going anywhere. No. It is uh, Bo Horvath that's expected to return tomorrow by the way. Anywhere else you'd like to go with the trade deadline? Any other surprises for us? Because that was a good one on the Ben Hutton front. I'm not even done with Hutton though. Here's another thing to bring up about Ben Hutton. If the Canucks want to keep him next season, it's going to cost them about $2.8 million, 100% of his current contract value to re-sign him. Or sorry, re-sign him to a qualifying offer. And then from there, Ben Hutton is arbitration eligible. If the Canucks don't get a number they like in arbitration, they have to lose him for nothing. They have to let him walk in free agency. So that's another thing that plays into it. It's not just the logistics of the numbers game, trying to get Philip Holm involved, trying to create a spot for Ole Ulevi. You have to think, if this is a team that views Ben Hutton as a third-pair left-side defenseman, and if you look at the ice time, he is third among left-handed defensemen in ice time behind Edler and Delzato. So if you're thinking about this from the Canucks' perspective, do they want to be paying $3 million for a third-pair defenseman. They've done it before with Lucas Spiza, but I'm not sure they want to repeat that mistake with Ben Hutton, whether it is or isn't a mistake, another conversation that could be worth having. So that's a really interesting one for me just because they have to do something, and that might be the easiest move. Uh, In terms of what else might happen, that's where it really gets interesting. Who else do they have as a trade ship? Well, exactly, and and Jim Benning may very well be taking calls and listening to other players. You'd think uh, some of the names you mentioned that are restricted needing a contract, that, you know, that's part of a negotiation is uh, moving through this season and tying things up um, after the fact. But uh, depending on where they feel this organization is going with certain players, perhaps there's an attempt made at uh, more of a firm decision, just as they have in years past. Although, I think it would be difficult to pick names up front outside of a Thomas Vanek that are really being uh, pushed forward. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens on trade day because I do believe as much as it could be, you know, quote unquote minor, uh, what the Canucks get in return would be viewed as major. And Jim Benning continues to be under the microscope, J.D. I've liked relatively, I certainly liked the last draft that Jim Benning came out of. The trade deadline prior added some nice pieces. Jonathan Dolan, of course, is part of that. Nikolai Goldobin. We don't know what he's going to be yet, but there's a former first-rounder that the Canucks have used as a prospect. So I consider the fact that Burroughs and Hansen are guys they likely weren't going to move forward with in the long-term direction that, hey, 
good job there as well. So I like some of the moves that Jim Benning's made. Will he get the chance to continue to round out the path that he is starting to carve out or not? Uh, it remains to be seen. You're doing some extra digging, which means CanucksArmy.com is going to have uh, a lot of numbers on the pages pretty soon. But uh, to Cole's note it, You've reviewed Jim Benning and his spending habits, and in your opinion, it's coming up on the wrong side for Canucks fans. Yeah, I'm actually in the works right now on an article where I look at how teams have spent money in the last four years, essentially since Jim Benning took over as the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. And I won't give away too much of what's going on in there. I obviously want you all to read the article eventually. But... If we were to separate this into four quadrants, you've got the teams that are spending very little but winning, spending a lot and winning, spending little but not winning, and then spending a lot to lose. You want to guess which quadrant they're in? It's the former, or sorry, the latter of those four options. I kind of tripped up there. It's the latter of those four options, and by a pretty significant amount. And the only company that the Canucks keep in this regard, and this should be especially disconcerting if you're a Canucks fan that's been trying to get this team to rebuild with your voice, whether that's at the ticket stub or in media. If you're upset by the way this team hasn't rebuilt, the only teams that check in as even close to the Canucks as it concerns spending money to lose are teams that have taken on bad contracts for future assets. If you remove those from the equation, the Canucks are in a league of their own in wasted money. A lot of that's in Louis Erickson. A lot of that's in even Ryan Miller. Who did they outbid for Ryan Miller? If he lived up to his contract, that's another story entirely, but it's their job to get the most value out of every dollar possible. And they outbid a market could have won to the tune of six million in three years for Ryan Miller. That's six million each year for a late thirties goaltender. Uh, you look at Radom Verbata, that didn't work out for them. You look at Sam Gagne, Michael Delzato, that's not really working out for them. Anders Nielsen, that's another miss. That is a lot of the owner's money spent to chase players who haven't moved the needle at all and it's really not a very good indictment of where this team is. One point I'm gonna make about the Jim Benning contract scenario How long should a rebuild take? Because the Canucks are in year four of Jim Benning. Do we think they make the playoffs this year? Nope. Do we think they're going to make the playoffs next year? Not likely. What about another year? Maybe. That's six years. Six years. Whether you're rebuilding on the fly, accepting a full rebuild, is that acceptable under any circumstances? That's the question for me. When you're spending that kind of money, too. It takes a long time. I mean, it, very few, unless you're drafting first overall to speed things up, uh, a.k.a. Leafs, a.k.a. Edmonton Oilers, it takes a while. And the Canucks just have not had that lucky number one arrive. Uh, needless to say, we all know the pain that that has caused, despite picking up some good selections uh, with where they have drafted in the last two drafts. And Ole Levy's coming along, but remains to be seen how soon he'll play in the National Hockey League. Elias Patterson, may, he might be here next year as well. We'll find out uh, how that is parlayed with this most recent trade deadline in NHL draft if Jim Benning is there also a lot of time between then and now but we shift our focus to this evening Edmonton Oilers take on the Vancouver Canucks and Brock Besser expected to play beside Thomas Vanek and Sam Gagne as Bo Horvat still one more game away find out if Besser reunites with Bo in Winnipeg perhaps but is a topic of discussion no goals in his last four games for Besser I don't think he's in a slump because his play is indicating uh He's had the opportunity to break out of it. Hasn't been able to find the back of the net. 
and continues to turn heads with the play despite not having a lot of uh, support around him due to the lack of players because of the injuries. And he's still getting league-wide attention, needless to say, with 22 goals. That includes the opposition coach tonight in Todd McClellan. Well, we, we're starting to know more and more about Brock. Um, you know, in fact, I watched Brock play junior. He played in the same team as my son, so I've got him, got to see him play since he was 18. Um, so we do know a little bit about him, but he's that good. He has that uh, that unique ability of changing the angle of a, of a shot, the timing of a release, um, confidence, puts it in the net. Uh, there's areas that he has more success in than others, so we've got to be aware of that. But you know, when you when you put all your focus on one individual, and I know he's got a big chunk of their goals, uh, you have a tendency to get bit by the rest of them and and 22 and 33 still play on their team and they're playing very well so very capable of winning a game on their own as well so we're going to look at the Canucks as a whole not just Brock Besser no RNH for Todd McClellan and his Oilers. It'll be Jacob Markstrom in goal. No Horvat for the Canucks, but Brock Fester is uh, still around for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, indeed. We'll talk more Canucks and Oilers on the other side with Mike Gagnon uh, coming on from Edmonton. That when Nation Network Radio returns, presented by Shark Club on TSN 1040. Nation Network Radio. Coming to you live on a Saturday from TSN 1040 Studios, January 20th. Canucks coming off their bye week facing the Edmonton Oilers tonight. You can listen to Countdown to Face Off following Nation Network Radio. That's going to be Dave Tomlinson and Blake Price getting you ready for tonight's Canucks game against the Edmonton Oilers. Joining us will be Mike Gagnon from Oilers Nation. But before we do that, we should... Give a little love to the Shark Club. They're helping us out. They're a sponsor for Nation Network Radio, a partner involved in the show. That's right. You can go to Short Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill on Beatty. They're a great place. And I was hoping to go there for a Steelers game tomorrow, but unfortunately they had to lose last week, so I won't be doing that. Uh, don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club, your only destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located just minutes from Rogers Arena at the corner of Georgia and Beatty. Come eat, drink, and talk a little bit of trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. On the line, we've got Mike Gagnon. He goes by Bag Milk. Bag Milk. He covers the Oilers at oilersnation.com. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you doing? Doing very well. Before we get into this, can you explain what's with Bag Milk? What's with that name? Uh, I mean, long story short, when I started blogging about 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, we wanted to do something where we thought of the dumbest possible pseudonyms that we could think of. And uh, bag milk is what I came up with. I mean, fast forward to today when I'm sitting in my early 30s and people are calling me bag milk professionally. Um, You know, if I could do it all over again, I probably would have picked something cooler. But that's, you know, we are where we are. I like it. I mean, it's it's creative. I'll give you that much. <laughs> so the Edmonton Oilers, it's something. Exactly. We're uh, we're setting up the Canucks against the Edmonton Oilers here. The Edmonton Oilers aren't exactly having the season they'd hoped for. Just looking at the standings here, they are one point ahead of the Vancouver Canucks with a game in hand, forty three points on the season. They're not looking likely to make the playoffs, which is obviously a step back from last season when they surprised everybody and went on that run to the second round. The floor is yours. Can you tell us what went wrong this season for the Edmonton Oilers? 
I mean, how much time do you got? I, I, like, I know we're talking here for 10, 15 minutes. I feel like we would have to sit down for an entire weekend just to break down each individual error in its entirety. But long story short, just everything that can go wrong is going wrong. Biggest and most notable is probably the complete failure that is the power or the penalty kill this year. Um, if I was to make a prediction on tonight's game, I would guess that the Canucks are going to score at least one power play goal because the Oilers are rocking at a historically bad 55% at home. I mean, since they've been keeping records, nobody's been this bad. So it's that's an obvious issue. Other issues in personnel, Cam Talbot took a step backwards this year. He's floating at around 9.02, 9.03 on the season. Obviously, that's not a great spot for your starter to be at. The power play can't score. Very mediocre. Again, bottom third of the league, considering they're a team with Connor McDavid. Not good enough, to say the least. So, you know, the the small errors tend to compound themselves, and it just gets worse and worse. And it seems like... Once that hole was dug in October and early November, there was just there was no looking no looking back, and it's going to be a tough climb to even get out of it. But being ten points out of the wild card spot with five teams to jump ahead of you, obviously that's not ideal. Like you said, the Canucks are a point behind us, so tonight's Hockey Night in Canada is obviously one of the most anticipated games of the year for everybody, I'm sure. But um, clearly not the spot that these teams want to be in. Um, more so the Oilers probably than the Canucks. I bet you were probably expecting something similar to this for this season or, you know, some varying level of this. Oh, yeah. Whereas for Oilers fans, it's like when it rains, it pours. You know, this one, this, this season in particular hurts because when they were bad for that decade, everybody expected them to be bad. And it was just kind of one of those things where you would throw your hands up in the air and said, well, they're bad. This year they were supposed to be good, so it's an extra. It's you know, it's an extra shot to the pills that I don't think anybody needed this year. Mike, when it comes to Ryan Nugent Hopkins missing now five to six weeks on a bit of a surprise coming out of the break, how does that affect the current roster, and how does it affect trade deadline? Well, I mean, as far as the current roster goes, they obviously pulled out their leading scorer out of the lineup, which is never a great situation to be in. But where it's really going to get interesting is now it forces Todd McClellan to put Leon Draisaitl back at center ice, and it shows a very shallow right wing side. For the depth on the right wing for the Oilers is not great, and I mean Peter Shirelli obviously traded away Jordan Eberle last year. He's having a great year in New York. Ryan Strom came in is kind of performing where. You know, most people that looked up his history expect him to perform, but um, it's not great. Looking at, again, the Nugent Hopkins injury creates a massive hole because Drysaddle has to play at center. He can't play on the right wing with McDavid. So that right side is incredibly shallow. And it's going to be interesting to see how guys step up and respond over these next, you know, over this next month or so. It, is it crazy to think the Oilers could add? Like, are they, are they actually looking at a Pat Charetti, a Hoffman? I think they could add. I mean, uh, they have the they have the cap space to go try and do something. It's just a matter of um, are they going to try to do a panic move to save to salvage what's left of this season, or do they kind of like hunker down and kind of take their lumps and move forward? I think that going for a guy like Hoffman or Pacioretty makes sense, but at what expense? Do you know what I mean? So. Um, as an Oilers fan, as somebody who covers the team, this kind of thing would make me nervous because it's not as though Peter Shirelli is generally winning these large trades that he's making. The one-for-ones over the past two years hasn't been great. And the idea of going fishing for a big name from a position of weakness, which the Oilers are at right now, you know, 
that's that's less than ideal to say the least. Mike, I was reading a report that uh, included a notice on your t- Twitter timeline, uh, and that's that Paul Coffey may be joining the or- Oilers organization. Uh, where do you? What's the latest on uh, bringing him back into the fold, perhaps? Yeah, I, you know, I read that today, and it was one of those moves by the Oilers that. You know, it has you kind of scratching your head. I mean, Paul Coffey, obviously one of the greatest defensemen of all time, but how is he going to help the Oilers get out of where they're at now? I know Bob McKenzie tweeted that there's rumors he could end up on the coaching staff. Well, that's great, but the man, you know, as good as he was as a defenseman, doesn't have a whole lot of NHL coaching experience. In fact, any at all. He did some consulting with the Coyotes of a number of years ago, but aside from some minor league work, he hasn't done any. So, it's a curious move. It's an odd move. Um, that said, it's not necessarily surprising. If there's a team out there that loves bringing back boys from the 80s or boys from glory days, it's the Oilers. So to see Paul Coffey's name associated with the team again, not exactly surprising, but definitely odd and a little bit curious. Well, Paul Coffey, I mean, he was a little bit before my time, but if there's one thing I know about him is that he was a really good offensive defenseman, especially on the power play, had a great shot. There was a report earlier this year that an anonymous coach had essentially said a big problem with the Oilers power play is that Connor McDavid hasn't really developed into a shooter. He's more of a distributor on their power play. Is there any validity to that report and is that something that the Oilers need to sort of fix if they're hoping to get their power play going down the final 40 games of the season? 100%. I mean, it's tough to pin it on Connor. Um, obviously, everybody that watches the team knows Connor's a pass-first kind of guy. Do you want him to shoot? 100%. Of course you do. I think that the you know the coach was right in the sense that if he shoots more, it's going to create more options for other guys. So that would be great. The biggest problem with the power play right now is it reads like a book. Everybody knows where the puck is going to go, and once it ends up on the half boards, whether it's um, McDavid or whether it was Nugent Hopkins before, there weren't many plays that were available that people couldn't telegraph. They don't, the Oilers don't have a big shot from the point, so that's gone. They love trying the cross-ice pass, and that's easy to take away. And if the guy on the half boards, which is generally Connor, doesn't shoot all that often, then it makes it easy for the defensive side to overload and kind of take away options. Watch the game tonight, and you'll see that the Oilers are going to go either from right side half boards and move towards the center of the ice or kind of dump it towards the front of the net and hope hope for a rebound. That said, they don't create a lot of traffic in front of the net, and they don't really get a lot of greasy goals on the power play either. So So the report is correct. Yeah, Connor needs to shoot more, but, you know, they need to come up with something a little bit different. They're very stagnant on the power play, and there's a lot of standing around. So there's plenty of problems that compound. Um, you know, Connor obviously needs to be better as well, but there are bigger issues as well. Nation Network Radio speaking with Mike Gagnon from Oilers Nation. Mike, we're getting a little bit tight for time here, but I got one more question I want to run by you. With the way the Oilers season has gone, a lot of talk has been about the future of Todd McClellan and Peter Chiarelli. Can you give us a quick answer on what you see the future holding for those two Oilers executives? 
personally, I mean, I, I've been in Oilers my whole life, so the idea of firing Todd McClellan after one bad season doesn't make any sense. Um, the Oilers have tried the carousel of coaching before. It didn't work. Eventually, you have to look at the pieces that are actually on the table. And to me, who puts the pieces on the table? It's Peter Shirelli. He has, like I said, lost one-for-one trades in the last two years. He was a, uh, he's a general manager that was gifted a team with McDavid, Hall, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Eberle, all available in your top six. You know, a, a few of those players are gone now. So to me, I look up top. I'm always looking at the person who builds the team. I'm not the guy that's going to blame the furniture if the roof caves in. Well, thanks so much for your insight, Mike. I'm looking forward to the Canucks against the Oilers tonight. You can get recaps of the game from both perspectives at CanucksArmy.com, at OilersNation.com. Thanks again for your time. Uh, We're going to go to a quick break here, and then on the other side, we're going to have Jacob Stoller from Jets Nation, another website from the Nation Network. For now, though, you're listening to Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver sports. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com.